Hey, Jason Rice here from Lot Pop. We're doing a new Lot Party show. This is our second episode. I'm excited about this one. Again, we're going to be every Thursday right before Auto Dealer Live at 3.15. Tune in early. Get get your computer launched on the show and uh, tune in to Lot Party. And what we're doing, is just like a Lot Party on your physical lot, we want to bring it to your virtual lot. You know, your physical lot, Lot Party, you get the whole team out there to stir the lot up, move things around, you get more attention on your inventory and your vehicles. That's what we want to do with your virtual world. You know, the virtual world's more important. you got thousands more traffic there. What can we do to stir things up? We're going to do interview vendors. We're going to interview dealers. And right now, I've got an interview with a previous general manager, uh, um, that actually just left the uh, Chrysler Dodge Jeep store, and he's actually on the vendor and on the dark side now. And what was cool about this, because he's actually working with me at Lot Pop, and it was a relationship we've had for about a year and a half. As a, he was one of our cons- uh, customers at Lot Pop for over a year, um, and we just magically kind of worked back together. He didn't leave uh, in order in, in account of uh, joining our company, but just following up and see what was going on since he's left the dealership. Now we work together, and his perspective of being in the in this for 30 years and bringing that perspective into um, the show and kind of, you know, the differences of what it felt like being in the shoes of a manager just a few months ago to what it is now as a vendor. And so without further ado, I want to introduce John Anderson. John, you there? How you doing, buddy? I am here, Jason. How you doing? Sir? Excellent. Again, I'm glad to have you on the show because I don't know if there's a show like this out there where they've actually taken a, a, a person of your experience that's just left the industry and kind of get the feel of you know the difference between the two ends. I was on the retail end for about 10 years and then on the vendor end for 10 years and um, with Viato. So I was with the uh, on the retail end and then with Viato for 10 years and now I'm on for about three years. So it's been about 13 years since I've actually worked in a dealership not within the dealership you know with the with the team but um our my perspective of what we do you know we we do weekly calls with our store so we're we deal with them on a weekly basis but i want to one give you a little bit of a background on yourself where you started again 30 years how you how you got where you were uh on the retail end well it's good to be on and and i'll try not to drag this out too long but i actually so a friend of mine, his dad was a general manager of a large GM dealership in Indianapolis, and, and during the summer, he and I would go in and, and clean cars. So really started a long time ago uh, cleaning cars, uh, then went through school, come out of school, had the opportunity to start with a, uh, with a Harley-Davidson uh, store selling motorcycles, and uh, uh, that was when AMF owned them, and, and uh, at that time, they weren't as popular as they are today, and a auto dealer owned the Harley store. And during the winter time, he sent me to the uh, the Oldsmobile store to sell cars. So uh, I started in, in the automobile business uh, then. Uh, I was back in the mid '80s, mid to early '80s, and uh, and worked my way through uh, sales, uh, assistant management, um, used car management, uh, and uh, and then general sales manager F and I, and then into the general manager's role. So. I've pretty much had experience on the sales side of the dealership uh, all the way through every position. Yeah. Um, and then uh, as obviously entering into the general manager's role, uh, had experience in service and parts at that time. Yeah, yeah. so you covered the whole gamut of all those positions there. And, and again, you dealt with vendors on a daily basis on all departments, Absolutely. especially as a general manager, Absolutely. made those budget decisions, and sometimes those are tough and sometimes those are easy. But um, And again, now you're on the, the vendor end, and I know you've been through um, – 
uh, on this side, and, and you know, we've talked you know over the few weeks and, and months here as you've been a part of the team, and your perspective on the things that you're seeing, and you know, hey, I remember when you used to tell me this, and now I'm on this side, I can understand. So, um, what's one of those things that kind of stick out the most for you? You know, as you're going through this changes. Well, it it has opened my eyes to be on this side. I, I, I um, and and one of the things that I think a lot of times because we're in the throes of the daily operations of the dealership, mm -hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, and quite frankly, we have our blinders on, and I know there's a lot of plates spinning that you have to keep from wobbling, um, but I think in those times, you have a tendency to start a belief that uh, some of these things that are happening uh, are only happening at your dealership, and I mean from the success side and also from the unsuccessful side. Yeah. So you have a tendency, because in order to be business, you have to have an there's an ego there so you have a tendency to protect that ego when yeah. things aren't going so well yeah. and a tendency to uh let that ego out a little bit when things are going well but what has been interesting on these calls is that we all kind of battle and say the same things it, it and it doesn't matter if it's on the west coast of the united states or the east coast or the midwest everybody's kind of saying the same thing on these calls yeah, and battling the same issue. Yeah, and that's the biggest thing is you know when I talk, I talk a lot of inventory management because I think inventory is the core. We're there to sell cars, and if we're not driving right. traffic on cars, we can have a great service department driving revenue there. But eventually, we stop selling cars. You know, we just become a service. And right. So the foundation of the cars and I talk about them marketing and pushing those cars out a lot and you know no matter if you're a Highline store in a metropolitan area a domestic store in, in, in a rural area the the fundamentals of a depreciating assets the same and so that's one of the things I try to yeah you might have a niche of a subprime market or you have a niche on truck market or things like that but it's still depreciating asset and when you attack certain strategies that a dealer does, like trying to hold on to cars and try to, again, pride and ego, they might have stepped up on it, try to buy a trade, and they're not ready to get rid of it yet. Um, you, you, you battle that. So, um, you know, if there's a general manager, general sales manager, manager out there that might be listening or watching this show, you know, what's some of the things that you might catch, again, other than pride and ego, that you say, hey, you know, sometimes open up the doors, and I, and I guess in inventory management, what's what's the key, the differentiator between these successful stores that you see time and time again be successful with the inventory versus the ones that are struggling, you know, both sides, as just leaving the GM, because I know you've said, hey, I, you know, I've been in your shoes, and I know, you know, when we've been on the calls, you tell me right. you've been in the shoes, and you understand, but then right. again, you go, I've seen this work too much that you're not listening. Right. What, you know, what's some of that advice you can give to some of these guys? Well, I, you, know? I, you just hit on it, Jason. I think the, the absolute number one thing is to understand that you're dealing with a depreciating asset, and it's the most important thing in my opinion, at the dealership that you're dealing with because that's the major inventory that drives the machine. Yeah. So in order to get that lift for the dealership you're looking at, and from a general manager's perspective, that's the difference. I, I understand that you're going to have individual department heads that are more focused on their department, but when you're running the entire operation, you're looking to lift the whole operation. So how you manage that those assets, those new and used vehicles sitting on your lot, is a is direct reflection of the lift that you're going to get in your dealership uh and and you cannot under any circumstances uh develop stories around why you should hold hold on to those depreciation as depreciating assets yeah. any longer once it reaches a certain point and that starts to we all know that in that 
21 to 25 day is your is your prime range to make dollars on that pre-owned vehicle. So after that day, and I understand there's some outliers out there. I understand that, but for 98% of your inventory, you cannot you cannot develop a story around that vehicle and make an excuse as to why you don't want to see that vehicle go by. Yeah. And and I understand. Believe me, I bought when I was when I was trying to uh, stock my inventory. Uh, I worked very hard to bring cars to the curb at the dealership in order to buy or trade for. But you have to fill holes, and on those, I had to I had to go out a, a long way. I would go all the way to the East Coast to buy cars. Sometimes those cars wouldn't arrive on the truck until day ten. Yeah. But I had to pay for that car on day one. Yeah. So. I, I found myself, and, it, and I, that's why I said I laugh sometimes because I wonder what you were. I wonder what you would say. I remember when you, when I would make an excuse, and you would kind of play it off by going, "Yeah, I've heard that one before." <laughs> but, but the fact of the matter is, is you start making excuses. Well, that car didn't arrive till day twelve. Yeah. It still starts at day one where it starts to depreciate them. So, and biggest perspective, I guess, again, just leaving the store on transitioning to like that velocity philosophy. We're not talking about, hey, let's make it up, sacrifice our gross and make it up in volume. That's not the case. But when you finally at the store transitioned into a velocity type mindset, right. I, I, you know, again, we're so in tuned as dealers, general managers of looking at our average gross profit. What differences did it make at your store to take it from, hey, yeah, we have an aging policy, it's somewhat soft, to, no, we're getting more aggressive, we're turning faster, we're more profitable? How did that all tear out and affect all the... There were numerous differences. Um, the first one is I started to realize that, that uh, you don't have to sacrifice gross and, unit and velocity both. So that's the first thing I started to realize. Yeah. Um, and yes, I had salespeople that would come in and they were a little bit upset because initially they started to see the effect of getting rid of some of that aged inventory. But as we got the inventory in line, you didn't have, you don't have to sacrifice both. The other thing was we were delivering between 130 and 150. We touched 170 a few times uh, units a month. That's new and used, but primarily we were a pre-owned store uh, we delivered 130, 130 used, 30 new. Wow. So that was the ratio. So um, when I was initially, I was stocking over 200 units to get that that 130 new or 140 new, yes. and yeah, I did have a lot of bleed through. Yeah. But as I started working with Laptop and and we were making some of those adjustments, getting that 30, zero to 30 day bucket up there in percentage, where I was working on that 50 to 60 percent range. Uh, it allowed me to shrink my inventory, but still have the same results, which that was a huge effect to me, not having excess inventory that was just going to bleed through and cause me an aging problem. Yeah. So then how did it trickle effect through the other stores? Again, as a general manager coming coming out of the store and, and, and maybe another manager going, yeah, you know, I hear all this talk about velocity and I should turn my inventory, have a hard age policy and things like that. But they, they, they the way sometimes they approach it, it sacrifices their growth. So they go back to bad habits and, and back away and, 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 and make adjustments. But once you committed to it and it stuck with it, how did it affect the overall, not just your average, because you can have your average back. You can have, right. again, I say back because if you have an aging policy, yes, your age, your gross takes a little bit of hit as you're sliding that stuff out. But once right. you get it cleaned up and moving, you get your gross back and then you get uh, more volume because you're turning, you're carrying one 
you know, 30, sell them 130, 140 instead of 200 to do it. But then what's the after effect on F&I and parts and service? Again, to try to tell dealers, you know, to not be afraid to commit to cleaning right. it up and going. Right. Well, that's the whole, when I was talking, when I was referring earlier to the lift that gives the entire dealership, yeah. it, it, it absolutely does. And, and it, one, you can retail everything. I'm, I'm, I'm firmly convinced that everything is retailable um, unless it's just broken. Uh, you know, if it's broken, I understand. If it's an older unit, then that's hard to justify that. But everything can be retailed. So by doing that, you're bringing more customers. You're bringing, by having a more diverse inventory, you're bringing more eyes on your inventory digitally. Um, you're bringing more opportunities to the dealership. You're retailing a car. And, and even if it's a even if it's a middle bucket car, and and you may have had to adjust it a few times, you're still retailing the car. You're gaining a customer. More than likely, 50% of the time or 55% of the time, that customer is going to have a trade in, mm -hmm. which now you take into the recon process. Which now the service department gets an opportunity with that vehicle. Parts department gets gets an opportunity with that vehicle. And and also more importantly, typically when you trade for a car at your at on your lot you're not in a uh, cost-to-market problem with that car that you have when you buy a car at auction so you have a you have a much uh, you have a much more retailable uh, susceptible to gross unit and inventory now and then obviously your F&I department gets opportunities with the increased customers coming in so you touch so many different departments that it gives the entire dealership a lift as a result. Oh, cool. Now we have a few minutes left. I say about uh, two to three minutes now. Sure. Is if um, you were to go back in, and again, you, you've been doing this for a couple months, but if you will go back in and, and start it over on the dealer end, what are the maybe different approaches after? You know, I know you saw about 20, 30 meeting calls, you know, dealerships all over the country and different struggles. What's that consistent struggle? They go, you know what, if a dealer just focused so much here, that would just trickle down. And, and that was the area I was weak in. I would be stronger there. What, what would that be in? Stop making excuses and building stories as to why you do not want to commit and stay consistent with that velocity model. You know, we talk, we've talked about it a couple of times, and I think, you know, I would say, I would say be coachable. Be coachable and, and don't feel like that. Don't allow those old school principles that we all know if we've been in the business for any time frame kind of sneak in there and disrupt the consistency of the process. You know, being coachable, I, I heard, I, I actually, I heard an interview with Lou Holtz, and, you know, one of the things that he mentioned was, you know, my job as a coach is to eliminate the mistake before it happens. Yeah. So I thought that was a great definition. So, you know, being coachable and eliminating, eliminating those old school tendencies that we all tend to hang on to that we keep justifying. And then as we justify it, the next thing you know, you get bleed through on the inventory and, and you're fighting, you know, you're fighting that, which is, it's, which is what I did. One, I get the inventory in line, and then I would think oh, I can I can try to make a little bit more on them. So I would up my pricing on that on that uh, zero to thirty day bucket in the inventory. And the next thing you know, I start getting some bleed through. So it was up and down. And I, my my encouragement is to stay consistent with those principles that are going to get you operating in that in that prime 
that prime day of inventory where you're going to make the most money on it. There, there's no, um, this is not rocket science. It's a pro it's proven that yeah. if you sell that car in that first 30 day bucket, you maximize the gross on yeah. it. Yep. Yep. And I would think then too, that that opened up the door as wrapping up here is, you know, that as soon as you start doing that, that opens up the door. You're talking about old school habits of sometimes our pay plan is structured on old school habits. So, you right. know, a lot of managers right. work around that um, and, and turnaround time. You know, we're still at the, you know, the, the old habits of our service department where they teach the used car department as a secondhand citizen instead of their best customer and, and push those cars off. So you open up a can of worms when you do this. And this is another reason why I think dealers are real hesitant of committing to that uh, and that but the strong are getting stronger the dealers that do do it are getting better and bigger and that's where these big corporations the car max exactly. auto nations and they know this exactly. and, and they're they're fine-tuning all this processes down but again i thought their perspective coming in from just wearing that hat as a manager running a store um, what it, you know, again, just overall, just dealing with this perspective as a vendor coming in, trying to help a dealer on no matter what it is, autotradercars.com, our services, right. whoever, and these best right. practices. But sometimes we have our blinder going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they move on because they're just so busy in their, in their, in, in their world, which is understandable. Um, but sometimes I think things get missed. And um, yeah, don't be, I, I, I would, that's what I would say. I think sometimes I made the mistake of, of thinking that I could do it all and yeah. uh, not reach out for help. And, you know, it, reach out for the help. It, it's, in my, in my opinion now, being on the other side of the desk, it's easily justifiable. Um, the, the, the return on investment is easily justifiable to me as far as uh, how it will help you. And you can focus on those things around the dealership that you need to focus on. All right. Well, I, thanks for the, the interview. If you can get a hold of John, he's at uh, janderson at lotpop.com. Uh, tune into our Lot Party show every Thursday at 15 minutes before the uh, Auto Dealer Live. Hope you enjoyed this episode, and uh, see you next week. Thank you.